we know now through science that muscle is the organ of longevity. The more muscle you have, the more likely you are to be functional into your later years. So it's important for that reason. But also the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism is and the easier it is not just to lose weight, but more importantly, to maintain lost weight. Welcome to Season 2 of The Podcast Show with Kaivil Nueva, where podcast growth and monetization continues. Brought to you by Podkai Media, a podcast production and marketing agency that helps functional medicine businesses increase their leads and sales. Visit their website at podkai.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast show. And in this episode, I am with Kevin English. And I've known Kevin English through social media. We have been, you know, we have been chatting with each other for quite some time now. And the reason why I invited him here is because for those who don't know, the reason why I am inviting health experts here in the podcast show is for us to know better how important it is to be able to focus on your health so you can reach your own definition of success. And for you to be able to know Kevin even more, Kevin is the owner of The Silver Edge and he's a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach. His mission is to help and inspire men and women over 50 become their strongest, healthiest, and most vital selves. And as a part of his commitment to this, he also created the podcast, which is the Over 50 Health and Wellness podcast, where he shares the stories of older adults hoping to encourage others to optimize their fitness and wellness. And actually, Kevin, I have listened to your teaser episode. Actually had a great childhood, right? You were in the farm, you were really active, and you had access to healthy stuff like grass-fed meat and all of those until such time that you had to move out of the farm, right? And when Correct, yeah. At the age of 40, you experienced health decline because you weren't really focused on your health. That's when you decided to become a vegan. But then you also realized that protein is essential, right? Yeah, okay. 100%. Yeah. So guys, that is Kevin's story, which we are going to hear more about him. So yeah, can you please let us know what's the experience behind being able to have access to healthy stuff when you were still in the farm? Sure. Yeah. So I'd say I had a very blessed upbringing when it comes to just health and nutrition in general, just farm life as a kid. I had chores. I was outside all the time. We had a ridiculously huge vegetable garden. We mm -hmm. actually had an orchard on the farm. So almost all of the food we ate came from either our farm or one of the neighboring farms. So it was a very idyllic way to grow up. I didn't realize it at the time, obviously, but we had chickens. We had meat chickens as well as egg chickens. We had dairy. So all of that was available and I just had the best of all of that, which really most of us in today's world, we don't have access to that. Most of us are in urban or suburban areas and we're eating a lot of processed foods and we've really gotten away from that connection to real healthy food. Yeah. And that's what I liked about your story because that's also my dream to be able to you know to have a farm and be able to have my own garden <laughs> right and plant my own food so yeah that's a very interesting story now i want to ask you because you're helping 50 uh, or people at the age of 50 to 70 right so why did you choose to help people around that age yeah so as you mentioned in the intro of course i had that wonderful upbringing and then somewhere along the line, lost all of that. And I found myself in my 40s, just 
basically midlife in the worst shape of my life. It ended up with me in a three days stay in a hospital. I was just very, very unhealthy. I was overweight. I was stressed. I just was eating like crap. I was sedentary. And as I looked around at all of my peers, I just noticed that that seemed to be the prevailing condition, specifically the guys I was hanging around with in our 40s. We were all kind of falling apart. There was this sense that it's all downhill from here. And this is just an inevitable part of aging. And I just, something didn't sit right with me with that narrative. So after my health scare, I was really inspired to get back in shape. I had been in great shape before. Certainly I was a healthy kid and had, in my 30s, messed around. I'd done some triathlons, marathons. So I had been in shape. I knew how to be disciplined and do certain things. So it really started me on this journey. And so as I rolled into my 50s, I managed to get myself from being the worst shape of my life to just being not sick, to being baseline. I was so excited about the changes in my health and in my body that I saw. I just... I started to explore this idea that we can actually optimize our health, not just be baseline healthy, but be super healthy. I started down the rabbit hole of biohackers and what is the healthiest diet? So as you mentioned, I spent a little while as a vegan. I spent a little while taking out all carbs. I went sugar-free for a while. I tried all these different things in this pursuit, this self-experimentation to really optimize my health. And as I got healthier and healthier, it just occurred to me, I just had this passion. I wanted to share this with other people and specifically with people who are, you know, 50 is a pretty big milestone. I'm getting ready to turn 60 in the spring. It's another big milestone. And a lot of people are facing those milestone birthdays with dread, with trepidation. They're not excited about it because they see that it's just kind of all downhill from here. And I want to rail against that. I want to give these people hope and give them a blue blueprint for, hey, look, there's no reason why you can't be as healthy, strong, vital, confident in your 50s and 60s as you were at any other time in your life. All right. That's very interesting because I always hear people say that at the age of 40, they say that that's when all the, you know, the pain in the body, all the illnesses yeah, are coming out, right. right? So, but when you say you're helping 50 to 70 year old people, how does that look like? Because with your journey, you experience health decline at the age of 40, right? Because I've been also hearing other health experts that illnesses, they don't start at the age of 50. They are like a manifestation of what your activities were or the food that you were eating when you were still younger. So can you please walk us through what does that look like if a person at the younger age is already aware of his health versus a person who just started to be aware at the age of 50? Yeah. So a lot of the people we work with are in that latter category. They've not taken care of themselves. It's pretty common, right? We're probably at least reasonably healthy when, let's say, we get married and we start a career, but then our career takes off and we have kids. And now we're pouring ourselves and our lives into our careers. We're pouring ourselves into our children, into our spouses, and we are taking care of all these other things and not so much taking care of ourselves. And what happens is when you hit about that age 50, most people, their kids are got grown kids are out of the house. And all of a sudden, for the first time, maybe I'm looking at the end of my career, I'm thinking about a career change. I've got time to really focus on myself and to look inward. And so when we catch people, to your point, who have ignored their health for the last 20, 30 years, most of their adult life, and all of a sudden find themselves 50 and very unhealthy, typically that is the types of things we're talking about here are lifestyle diseases. It's high cholesterol, it's prediabetes and diabetes, it's hypertension or high blood pressure, it's obesity. And the bad part is you didn't get that way overnight. It took a while, but these are lifestyle diseases. They can be stopped and reversed through 
lifestyle changes. Now, that's the tricky part, right? Today, there's not a pill you can take and magically get healthy, but there are small steps that you can take to start swapping some of those unhealthy behaviors for healthy behaviors. We have a specific framework that we take people through to slowly start to change these things. And we want to give them, along with what you think, right? We're going to start eating healthier. We're going to prioritize protein, but we're also going to get these people over 50 to start strength training. We're going to actually put some muscle on their body. And this includes the 65-year-old grandma, as well as it does the 50-year-old 250-pound guy, they're all going to do some type of strength training. And that does a number of things. We know now through science that muscle is the organ of longevity. The more muscle you have, the more likely you are to be functional into your later years. So it's important for that reason. But also the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism is, and the easier it is not just to lose weight, but more importantly, to maintain lost weight. So we can effectively change your body composition. We add some muscle, we burn a little bit of fat, all of a sudden you look much different. But I think just as importantly, as you go through this process, you start to have a new appreciation for your body. You have a new found confidence as you go out into the world. And I think that that's the big, big takeaway. We're improving people. We're not just helping people lose weight. We tell people right up front, we want to fundamentally and radically change your life, not just help you lose 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever it is, pounds, but to really enable you to adopt this new lifestyle, to have a passion for your body, for being healthy and healthy living. Yeah, that's amazing because before I had this thinking that exercising and also doing muscle training, the main goal is for you to have a very fit body, but (laughs) it's more of being healthy, like feeling good. And then the side effect is just, you know, for you to look better, right? Yeah, 100%. I guess that's a better way to see exercise because you won't really stop when you feel exhausted (laughs) because you have a deeper reason, right? Because the reason why I'm saying that is because I started going to the gym this past few months. And the reason was because the doctor said that I have minor arthritis. (laughs) Yeah, and one of my clients... He mentioned that it's important to build muscle so your bones can be supported. And I can resonate with what you're saying with how important muscle is. But you mentioned that in your program, you're also encouraging or teaching 50-year-olds and above to do muscle training, strength training. So how does that look? Because I assume that mostly people around that age have, you know, osteoporosis and all of those. (laughs) So how do you assist your clients with that? Yeah, great question. So the first things first, we meet everybody where they are. So if somebody comes in, we don't really work with the elderly and frail population. We refer out to that. So we're assuming that somebody is at least able-bodied, but we want everybody to be able to do the basic primal movement patterns and we want them to be able to do it loaded. So let's unpack that a little bit. I want people to be able to squat and to squat to full depth. And then I want to be able to load that. So maybe they're holding dumbbells or they have a barbell on their back. We want them to be able to hinge, which is a deadlift, which you think of just bending over and picking up, say, a grandchild or a bag of fertilizer off the ground. We want them to be able to pull things towards them and push things away from them in all planes of motion. So we're literally working on strength. And when you mention things like osteopenia and osteoporosis, we know that there is no modality more effective for arresting and reversing osteoporosis than strength training. When we strength train, we not only add, we not only strengthen muscle, we strengthen those tendons, those fibers, and just as importantly, we strengthen those bones. We make people 
just more bulletproof. We know now that people over 60 who fall and break a hip, their outlook is not good. The stronger you are, the more you have balance, coordination, strength, the less, and you have more dense bones, the less likely you are to find yourself in that position. Our strength training, again, we meet people where they are. So if they can not do a full squat, we start there. But we want to progress people to where they can go into a commercial gym, use all of the commercial equipment and actually build muscle just the way 20, 30, 40 year old person would do. Mm, That's really amazing because that's actually, you know, my vision for my mom and the older Mm -hmm. people around me because they're also experiencing those kinds of issues. (laughs) Sure. Right. Yeah. But how long before they experience or they experience relief after strength or after a series of strength training? It really depends. It depends Mm -hmm. on the person and where they are, but you should start seeing some results from strength training in the first 90 days. So it's Mm -hmm. not like you're going to do a strength training session and go home and take off your shirt and say, oh, look at that. I look different. You're not. But if you consistently strength train, and just to clarify, when I say strength training, I'm talking about lifting weights or using machines, could be bands, could be dumbbells, but let's just, just put a stake in the ground, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, three times a week. So I'm not saying live in the gym. I don't mean get up at 5 a.m. and spend two hours in the gym, six days a week. That's not necessary. In fact, that's probably overdoing it. So it's just this appropriately dosed strength training. But if you consistently do that for two to three months, you're not only going to feel better and you most certainly, you'll be stronger. You'll probably move better. You'll have less pain when you move. But the people that you haven't seen during that time are going to say, hey, what have you been doing? It looks like you lost weight. You look great. You're going to start to see some of those physical changes at about the 90-day mark. Oh, I see. All right. So ideally, strength training exercises can be done three times a week for 90 days. And that's when you can gradually start. That's when you start to see results. If you want the benefits that strength training brings and having additional muscle on your body. And again, there's all these hormonal and metabolic advantages besides looking good. But if you want those results, here's the rub. (laughs) You got to do it for the rest of your life. You can't do it for 90 days and expect to have those results will will last another 90 days, six months, whatever, after that three-month spurt. But it is something that you need to adopt and do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's why it's important for you to see the deeper meaning while you're doing that. Absolutely. You have to know your why. You have to understand why this is important. It's very helpful if you fall in love with this path, this journey, that you have a passion for doing this as opposed to looking at exercise as punishment for what you eat, for example, Mm -hmm. or going because the doctor gave you a scary, you know, you went and got your physical and things didn't look so good. We get a lot of people that that's why they start their journey. That sort of negative motivation is a great for starting a journey. If somebody tells you, hey, you're looking really sick and you're going to get sicker if you don't do something, people will change their behavior. But it's not in our experience, that's not enough to sustain a lifelong healthy journey. Somewhere along the line, switch needs to flip inside you to where you start to view eating healthy moving healthy, participating in healthy habits as you need to internalize that as who you are, what you do. And you have to have a love for that kind of a lifestyle. Mm, That's a great perspective because yesterday I just went to the gym and I was like, (laughs) if I just didn't pay for it, I won't go to the gym because, you know, you know, get your money's worth. Yeah. Yeah. The routine is quite exhausting. It's really tiring, but yeah, that's a 
very nice perspective to look at. Thank you for sharing that, Kevin. And another thing, because experts like you always say that it's not just about the activities that you do, but it's also the food that you intake, right? That the food that you eat. So can you walk us through your exploration around being a vegan and then transitioning to understanding that protein is needed. So basically, I want to know what kind of food should we eat if we want to build muscle much easier? I'll answer the vegan part and then fast forward to today. So that was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when I had my vegan experiment. But I was convinced. I, I think I saw Forks Over Knives. I saw a documentary and I was already starting to explore my health. And I just became convinced that, well, vegan, okay, that makes sense. I'd watched that documentary. That was a very intelligent sounding person, made a very strong case for it. And I tried it for a while. And if you're vegan, I have nothing against that. We do work with vegan clients. It's a little more challenging. It didn't serve me well. Personally, after a time, I found that I was spending more time worrying about supplements and getting supplements from the things I wasn't getting. And I started to drift away from whole food veganism. And I was just eating tofu dogs and impossible burgers and stuff like that. So fast forward to today, my prescription for eating for healthy aging, and really this would go for any adult person, is to primarily eat whole foods. Just get rid of the processed craps. Here in the U.S., the average person eats 70% of their diet from processed and ultra-processed foods. And that's pretty horrifying if you think that's the average. That means there's a whole bunch of us that are above average, meaning eating way more than 70% of our diet. These are things like sodas and fast food and anything in the supermarkets, if you think of what's inside those aisles, anything that comes in a box or a can that has a list of ingredients on it, those are all processed foods. And the more of those we eat, the more likely we are to be unhealthy. So figuring out ways to slowly over time, I'm not suggesting that you just go out and just flip the switch because that's, again, that's a drastic change. It might not be so sustainable, but look for areas where you can start to slowly swap out some of these fake foods for real natural foods. You had mentioned what best supports muscle building. And we talk a lot about protein. Protein becomes really important, especially as you age, more so for a 50 and 60 year old than for a 20 and 30 year old. And there's some biological reasons that has to do with protein sensing in our muscles, why we actually need a little bit more. But we have a very specific recommendation for our folks that come to us, and it's going to be 0.7 to one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So Mm -hmm. the way that might look is if a guy weighs 250, he wants to weigh 200, he should probably eat between 150 and 200 grams of protein a day. And that's a lot. Let's take a female who's maybe 160, wants to weigh 130. She should probably be eating 100 to 130 grams of protein a day. And that's a lot. And a lot, at least it's a lot for most people. And there's a number of reasons for this. Number one, protein is by far the most satiating macronutrients. Your macronutrients are going to be your fats and your carbohydrates and your proteins. The more protein you eat, the more you feel full and you feel full longer. We all know the experience of eating carbs and then being hungry again an hour later. Well, if you fill up on protein, it's really, you're probably not going to be hungry an hour later. And then a couple other reasons. One is your body is evolutionarily designed to store fuel as fat. In other words, the food you eat, your body would love nothing more than to take some of that and store it as fat. Once upon a time, evolutionarily speaking, that was fabulous. It kept us alive during times of food scarcity or times when we couldn't find food. That's not the case for most of us now, thankfully, but we still have that 
biological adaptation that your body will store fat right away. It loves to do that. Well, its favorite type of food to store as fat is carbs. So if you eat excess carbs, your body's like, woohoo, we're going to store some of these for later just in case there's a famine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if we eat fats, that's the next most preferable. We, of course, we can, your body can take those lipids from fats and convert them into fat storage in your body. It's very, very difficult for your body to take the protein that you eat and to store it as fat. So number of reasons there why we want to pay attention to protein and why we always start with the primacy of protein. Protein. When we're starting on somebody's diet, before we start to fix anything else, we just get a reality check. Okay, how many calories a day are you eating? That's important. How much food? We need to know that. And then the second is how much protein are you eating every day? So a client comes in, the first thing we do is just food journal everything for seven mm. days. So we catch a weekend and weekdays. And we ask them not to change anything because they know their nutrition coach is now looking at their food logs, but we want to have an idea of how much they're currently eating. And then we devise a plan. Okay. And almost always that plan is let's work on protein first. There's a lot of things we can work on, but that's the big lever. When we get that right, the other things start to automatically fall in place. Even before we start a diet for somebody who wants to lose weight, the first thing we do is get their protein to a healthy level. And then we start worrying about, okay, now it's time to start a diet. It's great that you mentioned about journaling what you eat for seven days because I also had an expert last time and also she mentioned that it's important to know what food you're feeling good whenever Mm -hmm. you eat it and you can figure it out through journaling. But I want to know like because for some people it's quite challenging to monitor what you eat daily, right? Like they do a lot of things, their attention is divided because of family, work, and all of those. So what's your advice so we can monitor what we eat daily? Yeah, that's another great question. I love this. So two things. One is there's there are apps that make it really, really easy to track your food. They're fairly accurate. We like MyFitnessPal or Chronometer are two of them that are their free downloads on the internet. I think both of them have a premium upcharge, but the free version of both of those is fine. And there are other apps, right? Fitbit, I think, has capability of doing this as well. But in terms of how to track your food, you mentioned being all of us are on the go, we're busy, we're doing this, we're doing that. I would say to you that if you're eating mindlessly, that's a behavior we want to start to work on. So we really like to help our folks just not be mindlessly snacking, but to in, to eat with intentionality. So if I say I'm going to eat three meals and two snacks, for example, in my day, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to put away my phone. I'm not going to have my computer or my TV on. If I'm eating with other people, I'm going to engage with them, but I'm going to be present and mindful while I eat. I'm going to eat seated at a table. <laughs> I'm not going to eat standing up over the sink. I'm not going to mm. eat in my car. I'm not going to eat at my desk. Same with when it's time for my snack. Now I'm just going to take a few moments and I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to chew my food slowly and thoroughly. I'm going to take a break from the stress of of my work or whatever's going on around me. So we want to get in this practice of eating mindfully and being present while we eat, actually taste our food, slow down, take a moment. And that kind of gets you out of that behavior of just stress eating or bored eating or emotional eating. That idea of having this very intentional mindfulness and not eating in a distracted state. Okay, I love that you mentioned about mindful eating because a few months back, we had a retreat and they also taught us how to mindfully eat. But for some reason, you know, when you're when you get used to eating quickly, right, it's mm-hmm. not that easy to go back to mindful eating. But yeah, it's great that you mentioned because it's a great reminder and they say that it has greater effects 
with mindful eating. Right? Oh yeah, your digestion. I mean, there's there are good biological benefits as well. But I will tell you this: you mentioned going to retreat and being taught mindful eating, then kind mm-hmm. of reverting back to old habits. It is one of the hardest things we ask our clients to do. Mm-hmm. Mindful eating is not easy. And so, what I would recommend for somebody who says, "Hmm, that sounds interesting," again, just like with Whole Foods, I wouldn't recommend just tomorrow, go out and buy a bunch of salad and beef and dairy and throw everything out out of your pantry, start small. So start with maybe my breakfast. Every day this week for my breakfast, I will eat mindfully. Just one week, one meal. So if you start one place, that might be a way to get that practice a chance to catch on. It doesn't feel so overwhelming. Yeah. So it's also a practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Kevin. This is really helpful. It reminds me a lot of things that were taught to us before, but we tend to forget because of business. And yeah, I want to switch gears just a little bit because with these kinds of content, with these kinds of education, I really find it really helpful. That's the reason why I decided to help wellness experts amplify their message through podcasting. It's because I really find deeper meaning from their messages like yours. It's really, really helpful. So yeah, I want to know what your thoughts are when it comes to creating a podcast out of wellness topics. How important do you think that wellness entrepreneurs like you start a podcast and share their knowledge of health and healing as well? Yeah. So this is something I feel very strongly about. I feel very passionately about. I feel like in many ways, our Western medicine culture is failing us. Look, if you have an injury or an acute illness, Western medicine is the best in the world. That's, I mean, the best thing you can, Mm. we have the best medical care in the world. But here's a fact. We spend more money on healthcare. I mean, our healthcare spend is astronomical at this point, and yet we are getting sicker and fatter Mm. as a culture, right? So I feel like that coaches, nutrition coaches, personal trainers, health coaches, life coaches, we have the answer. But also when I say we, I mean myself included, we, the consumers have been taught to expect a pill or expect an injection to expect some quick fix that doesn't really have me putting much skin in the game. And that's not the way this works. So back to your question about what I would say to somebody who's maybe in the in this space, the health and wellness space, and is considering starting a podcast, please, please do. We need your voice. We desperately need your talents. We need, I hear sometimes, well, there's just, there's so much noise already in the health and mm. wellness space and nutrition and exercise. Why in the world do we need another one? We need as many as we can right? Mm. I mean, even the biggest of influencers in this space or who have good solid messages aren't reaching even a, a fraction of the population that needs to hear this. So the more voices we have, the more unique voices we have that are out there talking about ways to be healthy, talking about changing lifestyle in this healthy manner, the better off I think mankind will be. I, For me, I feel like it's my purpose. It's my mission. I'm called to mm. spread this message. There are a lot of people that are being called and are just for whatever reason, tamping that down. They're thinking, I'm not qualified or I'm intimidated by the technology of starting a podcast or I'm just afraid to get, you know, turn on a mic and talk <laughs> into <laughs> it. And to that, I would say, hey, man, you just got to you've got to follow your passion and your voice needs to be heard. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting because that's also the reason why I became more aware with my health. 
here in the Philippines, we eat a lot of rice. And because of the content of Wellness Entrepreneurs IQ, that's when I started to somehow decrease my rice intake. And also, sometimes I don't even eat rice anymore. <laughs> like there are days that I don't eat rice anymore, which here in the Philippines, rice consumption or very high uh, rice consum- consumption leads to diabetes, right? So that's why it's been really helpful to me. And yeah, that's the reason why I also like to invite experts like you here in the podcast so I can somehow amplify, you know, your message of healing and health. And may I ask for those who are for, for those who are thinking about starting podcasts or they maybe they're having doubts like what could be the results of, you know, or the benefit of doing podcasts because it can be sometimes exhausting, right? Creating mm, content, yeah, recording, yeah. right? So sure. they asked, what do you think has been the greatest benefit of podcasting to you and your business? Well, I'm going to leave the commercial benefit aside, but that's not to be discounted. The vast majority of clients that come into our network find us through the podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you are somebody who wants to start a podcast because you have a business, I would say you have to have the passion before the business, but certainly that's a valid reason to start a podcast. A podcast is a good way to validate your brand and get your voice out there. But I think that in terms of the rewards that you get outside of commercial, just the personal satisfaction of when you get feedback that somebody says, hey, I heard this. This is what I needed to hear today. Thank you so much. That's very valuable. Or you changed my life with this. Those are the impactful kind of things that make podcasting worthwhile. I would podcast. I would have this podcast. I do what I'm doing now, whether it was for my business or not. Mm. If I worked in a completely different field, let's say I was a, I don't know, a coal miner. This is what I would do in the evenings after my job. I just have that passion. So I think that, yes, starting a podcast, if you have a commercial interest, it's a fantastic way for you to be enthusiastic and passionate about your business and to let people know what, what your business is about, what your philosophies are and to attract potential clients. But it's also a way for you to have an impact in the world if that's important to you. Yeah, I love that impact in the world. So mm-hmm. another question that I'd like to to ask is what what do you think for those people who are suffering silently around, you know, that age or even at the early age? Because right now it's very saddening that illnesses doesn't only start at the age of 50, right? It's now becoming at an early age because of, like you mentioned a while ago, the food we eat. What would your advice be for those people who are suffering in silence? Yeah, I mean, to reach out and get some help. There's a lot of really good resources. There are a lot of great free resources and podcasts, one of them. And that would come with a word of caution. There is, and specifically in the health and wellness industry, there's as much bad information as there is good. And that it's just, it is what it is. But to seek out good channels of health information, educate yourself, start small, start taking small steps. If that's, if that is you listening and you feel like you're somebody suffering in science, don't know where to go, that would be my advice to you. But it's also my advice to, for your loved ones. So if you have a a loved one, a parent, a child, a sibling, a, a close friend who seems to be struggling. Podcasts are a great medium and it's really easy to just share an episode with a friend. Just say, oh, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about XYZ. And I thought of you, you should check this out. That's a great way. There's tons of really good websites. You can send people websites for references. But yeah, I would certainly just say in this day and age, there's no secret information anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's all available <laughs> for free. It's just a matter of sifting through it and finding it. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned 
mentioned a while ago, being careful with the content that you take. Because I guess in the past few weeks, I saw like a post of, I forgot the name, but it's a health coach who speaks highly of sugary drink. The sad part, it's actually financed by a well-known company so <laughs> yeah yeah there's more and more of that we've recently had some health influencers and doctors actually media influencers who were caught that i think it's the aba american beverage which is yeah, a lobbying yeah. that whole lobbying yeah they're paying influencers now to talk up that hey you know these things aren't as bad as people are making them out to be and look if that's your honest opinion and you're not being paid to say that have at it say that mm-hmm. if you have an audience and you are an authority especially if you're a doctor and you have because that carries this, its own certain authority and you are accepting money from lobbying groups mm-hmm. of soda companies shame on you there is no world where that's okay yeah so yeah there's been a few of them that have been named already but and I'm glad I, I mean I think those people should have nowhere to hide there's it's just indefensible that you would in the name of health and fitness you would take money from a lobbying organization and then that's sad it is a reality and so you do have to be careful of what you're and look the ultimate litmus test is your own common sense Mm -hmm. there's the cellular biology and human metabolism, the science there really hasn't changed in the last few decades. I mean, it's only incremental. The basics all still hold true. Eat healthy, wholesome foods. Those are real foods, by the way, not fake foods. So the foods that are labeled low fat or that are labeled sugar-free or that are labeled whole wheat, avoid that. If it's got more than three ingredients on it, it's not healthy, period. So just Use your common sense. And if somebody's telling you, hey, you should only eat one meal a day, does that sound right? Does that really sound right? And the people that are saying, don't eat any carbs, it's bad for you, or don't eat fruit because it's high in sugar. Look, human beings have existed for a long, long time, and we've had a very varied natural diet. And really, those basics are still true. The biology of the human hasn't changed drastically. And what was healthy for us once upon a time is more or less still healthy for us today. Right. And like you mentioned a while ago, it's better to still eat whole foods than sure. yeah, Always. than anything else, right? Always. Yes. Okay. Right. So yeah, last question that I have for you, Kevin, is because at the beginning of the show I mentioned that the reason why I am inviting health experts like you is because for us to better understand the importance of focusing on our health being a uh, well-being right holistically so how important do you think it is that a component of your success whether it's wealth success you know personal business family how health is like a big contributor of reaching mm. your own definition of success Yeah, that's another great question. Thanks for that. So here's what I say. We work with a lot of what we call caregivers. People have that caregiver genes. These are typically females, but not always, but they've spent their life caring for others. They care for their children. Now they are caring for their elderly parent. They're always the ones that are organizing things in their friend groups and at, at work, and they very often don't take care of themselves. Here's the harsh reality and truth. When you take the time for self-care, and by self-care, I mean just doing healthy maintenance for your body. It's just like we said, the exercising, eating right, taking time for for de-stressing and managing your stress in your life, you show up as the best version of yourself. You show up as the best mom, the best coworker, the best boss, the best parent, best child, best everything. So for me, being fit, being healthy, it allows me to show up as my best version in every aspect of my life, as a husband, as a father, as an entrepreneur, as a 
brother, just as everything. So I you can tell I feel very, very passionate about this. Your world gets smaller as you get sicker. Your world gets bigger as you get healthier. And look, I told you I'm getting ready to turn 60 in the spring. I can tell you right now at age 59, I am healthier, stronger, fitter, more confident, more vibrant, more energized than I've ever been at any any point in my life. And I'm not convinced that the best isn't still yet to come. So as opposed to dreading turning 60 or looking at my 60s with some sort of trepidation, I'm excited about what's going to happen. And I want to share that with other people. And I want other people to understand that that can be their reality. It's not too far out of reach. It's going to take some work to get there. Depends on where you are, but probably once you get there, maintaining it's so much easier than the journey from being sick and unhealthy to the journey to being well and optimized. Thank you for your inspiration, Kevin. And it's so nice to hear that because you mentioned a while ago that when a person gets to 60 age, they start to feel negative about it. But it's great to hear that you can feel the opposite of being negative towards when you get to 60, right? Because yeah, especially when you're starting to feel arthritis or anything, you know, back pains and all of those, right? Right. There's a way, there's a way in how you can be, feel better, right? And have a more positive outlook in life as you age. So it's about aging gracefully and healthily. And thank you so much again, Kevin, for sharing your thoughts. This podcast or this episode is really, really helpful to me as well. And of course, I know that my listeners will definitely benefit because I think it's important that we normalize these kinds of topics even at an early age. So it won't be difficult for us to when we reach around 50 or 60 to have regrets (laughs) of not taking care of ourselves at an early age. Thank you so much. So Kevin, can you please let us know where they can find you if in case they'd like to consume your content and also are curious about your program? Sure. Best place to go is my website and that's silveredgefitness.com. So just, you can shoot over there. We have a bunch of free guides up there. There's also a directory of all our podcasts. Podcast is the Over 50 Health and Wellness. You can find all information about our coaching programs, things like that there as well. And I'll definitely add that to the show notes. So thank you once again. This has been Kevin English and this has been the podcast show by Podguy Media, helping you heal people one podcast at a time. And I'll see you again. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you need help growing and monetizing your podcast, don't forget to visit podkai.com and book a call with us. We want to know more about you.